I'm David Moskrop. Welcome to Open to Debate. Threats and harassment directed at journalists in Canada are on the rise. A vicious coordinated campaign of hate targeted at a handful of women, especially racialized women, in recent weeks stands out as particularly troubling. As the far right continues to organize and grow in the country, and as cynical politicians and media elites fan the flames, the implication of these campaigns press beyond the borders of news media and into the territory of our democracy. Protecting journalists and uprooting hate requires an immediate, coordinated, and sustained counter-movement. The effort must be also adequate to the task. Those who choose violence cannot be met with tolerance, since infinite tolerance undermines the foundations of inclusion. But to understand what is to be done, we must start by understanding the nature and extent of the problem. And so we ask, what does the targeted harassment of journalists mean for journalism and democracy? My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is Erica Eiffel, race and equity expert, co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast, and founder of Not In My Color, an anti-racism and equity consultancy. Let's start by summarizing the state of affairs, uh, such as such as it is. Uh, so there's been a rise in harassment of and threats to journalists, and it seems that the tone and content has become even more vicious than a recent memory. I mean, like, it's truly vile stuff. Can you start off by walking us through what your experience has been in the last couple of weeks with this? Um, actually, David, we're in week five. Oh my word. <laughs> okay. I think when this when this um, airs, it might be we might be up to six or seven weeks. Um, and, you know, for the last five weeks, uh, we so the epicenter, I would say, of this particular um, round of hate, a coordinated hate campaign, um, email hate campaign targeting female journalists and racialized female journalists, especially. So there are about 14 or 15 of us right now. About, I think about 10 of us are racialized. Um, but this all started as a coordinated hate campaign. Me, uh, Saba Itazaz from the Toronto Star and another racialized journalist received basically the same email on Canada Day. And we tweeted about it and we moved on. Because um, I had edits to do, David. Anyway, fast forward a few weeks later and this campaign, we, me, Saba, again, Itazaz, and now Rachel Gilmore of Global News received just these horrible, hate mail. Now I've de dealt with hate mail from like mm -hmm. individuals and stuff. I know what individual hate mail looks like. I know what it sounds like. I'm like, okay, this one, this one was particular. This one talked about how they have set up a list with photos of us to figure out which ones to silence first. Um, they, there were death threats, gang rape threats, that were eerie mm. and unsettling. It's like, oh, we're going to get, we and the boys after a few beers are gonna get together and figure out which one of you we want to 
have consensual sex with or something like that's eerie because they're intentionally using language to get through um, filters Mm -hmm. and which means they know what they're doing. Right. Number two is they're, they're surveilling our social media. Number three is they are, um, researching the work we've done before and making up um, scenarios. Uh, so for example, Raisa Patel of the Toronto Star um, received in one of her emails, they talked about how they had done, they talked in great detail about how they'd done this podcast. And the podcast was based on a previous work on the house the CBC news show. Mm -hmm. So, and that is the extra dimension that's unsettling. It's psychological warfare. And that to me um, is a group. You have somebody who is researching, um, writing these letters, surveilling us and, and monitoring who else to target and targeting them and doing the same thing. That doesn't sound like an individual to me. And in the beginning, I spoke about how this doesn't sound like an individual attempt. So, so Saba, Rachel, and I kind of got together and we got our newsrooms together for a meeting um, to talk about a response, which I understand has never been done before. So there's something. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, which, sorry. There, there's never been a, a coordinated request for a response. Correct. No, no one's at. Oh my lord. For for abuse and harassment of journalists. Nope. Where's the Canadian Association of Journalists been on this? They only came in when our bosses reached out to them. Uh, okay. They didn't come in when it was actually happening. Huh. So they didn't reach out to us, which is something that I told them on our first meeting. Yeah. That they need to do better on that because they did. I mean, you see this is going on. You don't reach out to people like where's the humanity? Did we just what's your job? Like what's your like? Did we just take humanity out of life? Like, I don't I don't understand. Like, there's no humanity in any professional life, apparently. No, no. That's been the long project of capitalism, though. It's going very well. True. Hence the lack of communities, but we've we've talked about that before. About that. So yeah. people can go I, back and listen to those. I episodes. will, I will encourage. Yes, they are. I will encourage everybody to go back and listen to Is Canada Racist? Yeah. Because we talk about it there. Okay. So I only know this because I looked at my podcast list and I saw all the podcasts I'd saved, and I realized I'd saved two from you that I was on. So there. That's how it's fresh in my mind. Anyway, Thanks. moving on. Um, so what I said to them is what I personally wanted was a community response that media needs to respond to this as a community and not as individuals, because the, the, obviously this is a big issue that, that affects more than just our organizations. The other thing is for those we didn't pull in yet, who else is isolated out there? who is experiencing this and because of precarious work situations and arrangements can't speak to their boss or upper management about this. We don't know that, do we? 
there's no data collection and that's how it, it would intersect with class, right? So, which we don't talk about in this country because apparently not only do we not have racism or sexism, we have no classism either. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so um, we, par in, in parallel, is it, can we say parallelly? No, in you parallel, whatever you want. excuse me. You can say whatever you want. Meanwhile, in parallel, are you kidding? My dad's going to listen to this. He's going to correct okay. me on site. <laughs> <laughs> in parallel, um, uh, we have been documenting our experiences with the police. Mm -hmm. And naturally, our newsrooms wanted us to report. And we're like, oh, <sighs> like, I had to reach out to somebody I knew who used to be a cop once and just be like, how do I do this with the least interaction with the police ever? And he's like, do it online. And I was like, okay. So um, my experience with police contact has been minimal because I live in, uh, I live in the, in the neighborhood where the Ottawa police killed Abdirahman Abdi. I know one was acquitted, but there's a lot of backstory to that. Anyway, so why should I trust the police, especially after the convoy that has proved a collaboration with police rank and file, with members of the rank and file? Why should I trust the police? As a black woman? No, thanks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. So I already knew that this was not going to work. And when I, so what happened was my newsroom, the Hill Times stepped in and, and our managing editor was like, Hey, why don't you come to the office? We'll give the office number. We'll give the office address. We'll sit there with you when you need to talk to the police. In other words, they offered to be a buffer and that I'm looking back at that now and how much that meant. It was, it's small, but it means so much. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if the other newsrooms did that. And well, I think news, no, yeah. I, well, there's I, no I, central. What, what strikes me is that there is no central space from which to engage in these pushback campaigns for journalists, right? You'd think it would be this, the Canadian Association of Journalists, or it would be something, or there would be some body to coordinate, but it sounds to me like that doesn't exist. Nobody wants to do advocacy work. Yeah. It's hard. Don't want to make yourself the story. So just leave your journalists out yeah. hung out to dry. Hung I mean. out to dry. And I'm sorry, but also, isn't there like a parliamentary, like a, a president of the press gallery in parliament? Yeah. Yeah, of course. What are they doing? I don't know. That's These, a good question. Where's their advocacy? I mean, there's multiple. I mean, there's there's parliamentary heads for for the subnational parliaments, legislatures too. Um, well, so it sounds to me like yeah. Well, it sounds to me like there's a problem. I want to get into a little later, which is that there needs to be a body that is on top of this as a rule that that can coordinate and spearhead these efforts. So it's not left to journalists who are being harassed and threatened to do the labor of dealing with these coordinated campaigns that frankly should be the responsibility of newsrooms uh, and or you know organizations like the CAJ to, to deal with right exactly 
And it seems to me like, you know, the CAJ is just new to this advocacy stuff. Yeah. Like they, so I'm like, what did they do before? I'm not sure. And you take membership fees. So what are you doing? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Well, okay. So uh, I want to I want to build off of this to try to we're, we're going to talk solutions in a bit and broader picture. I want to get into the implications for democracy and what we do about but it. That's but that's the backstory. Ooh, let me that's finish the, the police part. Oh, of course. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So so Rachel, I just assumed it ended there. You know, because no, no, no. Oh no, <laughs> it never with does things. with the police. I see. So okay. so when we get to solutions, I'll talk about the solution, the the observation that I came up with, and the solution that I talk to the minister about mm-hmm. or mention to the minister. So anyway, Rachel has documented her interactions with the police. They traumatize, they re-traumatize you. Yeah. Like Rachel got, Ooh, why would they be talking about you? Excuse me. And this was a woman. So diversity solves nothing on its own. You know, I think a good amount of the traumatization that both Rachel and Sabo went through with the police have been done by female police officers. Hmm. So obviously, I did, I'm not saying most of it, but there is a presence there that has the same attitude. Yeah. Right? So anyway, the police are not equipped to deal with this. That I know for sure. And it's not a resources problem. In my opinion, it's a resource allocation problem because you always know what is priority with how much money they put towards it. And something tells me that the police aren't really into hate crimes or solving them because literally the police told me that "Eh, we're not going to catch this guy, but yeah. And they just accept that as an outcome. So I know that they don't take this seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. Just like they don't take sexual assault crimes seriously and they re-traumatize women. And I'm sure this still goes on judging from the experiences that we've had. Now we got our newsrooms together, had a meeting, wrote an open letter to the police. Um, 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 It was not CAJ who wrote the letter, by the way. Um, This was a group effort. And I want Mm -hmm. to emphasize that. Yes, me, Saba, and Rachel spearheaded it. We said what we wanted. We said the outcome, but our newsrooms, our management were was actually open to talking about it mm-hmm. and to actually listen to us. And that is the material point. So when I went in there and I said, I would like a community response, um, yes, it comes out with the first letter. After the first letter, we met with Minister Mendicino, another group effort. Who is the public Um, safety minister? Yes. Yes. And, you know, you hear about the police, the police, the police. And all I, I'm like, why is the police the first line of defense? That's our problem. As in the platforms aren't doing anything about, or the email services and platforms aren't doing anything about dealing with. So the emails, the email platforms, the social media platforms, media, and how they platform. Right. Because I had to I remember in one of our meetings, um, somebody came up with the idea of finding this person 
and interviewing them. And I'm like, why are you platforming them? Right. And you're telling me this in this meeting? Like there is a problem in media, huge. They don't understand how they're contributing. When the fifth estate platforms Pat King with a solo interview before they reach out to us, to interview us that tells you where media is mm-hmm. okay and i'm gonna call cds like that is ridiculous there's a straight line between that convoy and what's happening to us mm-hmm. okay i'm not saying that you shouldn't you know write stories about him but to give him a solo interview for however long it was that's a different level because we didn't get that well, well I did okay. on the national, actually. Let me just say I did on the national. But the point is the fifth estate didn't do that for us. Well, you mentioned the convoy, and I and I want to pick that up because I want to dig into you. where this is coming from. This this doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't just appear out of the ether. It comes from somewhere. The flames are fanned by particularly cynical people in, in media and in politics. Uh, it, it originates somewhere. And when it gets nasty, particularly nasty. It gets particularly nasty because uh, uh, people are picking up on it and amplifying it and enabling it. So I want to get a sense of, of, given the work that you've done, where you think this is this particular round is is coming from. The convoy was a watershed moment in this country, mm-hmm. and I don't think that most of the country understands how the convoy yeah. galvanized anger and then. And then um, the convoy was a conduit to white supremacy in the far right. So they took the anger, they galvanized it. And and why do you think they had the bouncy castles? They have bouncy castles here so that down the road, they can feed you the great replacement theory. Sure. And I kept saying that to other journalists, David, because they're like, oh, bouncy castles, what's the big deal? I was like, are you insane? What's wrong with you? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Do you not see the bigger picture here? It's fascism. It is fascism. What people are talking about putting you on lists to silence you as a journalist, it's fascism. It's a road to fascism. We have seen experts be derided. So Mm -hmm. experts and expertise is derided. Then it goes to journalists. Then it goes to politicians. This, this looks like a line to fascism to me mm-hmm. or some type of right-wing authoritarianism. The people in the convoy want to replace government with themselves. Yeah. With what legitimacy? And nobody talked about the legitimacy. Well, they were, they, they were, willing, they were willing to meet with the, with the prime minister or the governor general to dissolve the government and to replace it. I mean, it was truly unhinged authoritarian uh, language, you. you know, uh, you know, paired with sovereign citizen thinking, right? These people who yeah. are extraordinary libertarians who, who exactly. And I always know that knew that libertarianism was on the way to fascism. It's fascism light. Mm. Okay, but nobody like has nobody taken a class in like yes. I'm. It, you know what's wild, David? What is wild to me is nobody like very few people see it, and I'm like. Am I the only one who went to school? Like, I don't, I don't understand. 
Well, I mean, I think part of it is that a lot of people don't want to see it because they still believe in the myth of Canada, the good. Uh, they didn't see the mask off moment for what it was. I mean, some people mm. did and, and sort of dismissed it. You know, there's a poll that says 70% of Canadians would see unfavorably a politician who supports the convoy. But they think it's, well, it's not a big structural problem. It's just a bunch of goons who happen to be going to, you know, make trouble as if this isn't deeper embedded and growing right um so and that's why i want to distinguish what we're going through from the general christian freeland hate i got hate to conversation ah, okay so what is the difference there what's the distinguishing character or feature uh, between the two uh the fact that we're being surveilled it's coordinated it's targeted and it is like one of my emails was signed the Boogaloo Boys. And if you don't know who the Boogaloo Boys are, they're a far right organization. We think Diagonal's involved too, and they were definitely part of the convoy. Yeah. So if you think of a scatter plot, mm-hmm. okay, so you have all these incidents that are scattered. And then in the middle, there is a, a conversion and a line. And that conversion is our stuff. The incidents all around are just a general kind of hate and fomenting that has come about and has been allowed because it is being underpinned by political cover of Pierre Polyev of mm-hmm. Leslie Lewis, Aaron O'Toole, and anybody else who supported that convoy. There's a straight line between them supporting that convoy and what's happening to us. Okay, so we've got this, this rising, coordinated, far-right, typically white reactionary politics that's that's become mobilized, that's long existed in Canada, but it's growing. It's got political cover and support. It's got media cover and support from some cynical people who I have no interest in mentioning, but we all know who they are. Yeah. And, uh, and it's we see it manifest in attacks on, on politicians, but in coordinated attacks on journalists, especially racialized journalists. So, that, mm-hmm. so bad news, not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does this mean, broader picture? So, I mean, you know, what does do harassments and threats mean for media work, for, for public discourse, and for democracy itself? The point is to remove the people who have the ability to garner attention in public discourse, the attention is to remove us from that public discourse. The intention is to remove women from politics. The intention is to remove those who promote equity, who promote diversity or inclusion or whatever catchphrase they're using these days. And um, the way companies have done and the government has have done diversity has been very cynical. And so, um, but what we're experiencing in a general sense is the white lash. Mm-hmm. Any, like the pandemic 2020, you had Black Lives Matter. You had, um, was it 2021 that was the residential school graves? Right, yeah. um, what's 2021 you had um the uh, muslim family who was murdered in london mm-hmm. in 2021 and this out oh, and uh, i don't want to forget attacks on um people of asian background 
who were subjected to attacks during mm-hmm. COVID. So you have all these groups, the same marginalized groups according to race, mm-hmm. right? Our issues came to light, let's say. Mm-hmm. And the move toward righting those wrongs began or cynically began. <laughs> right. Yes, sure. Yeah. Ostensibly, they began. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they began in earnest for some and obviously we were co-opted and exactly. turned into brushed aluminum props. for. for uh, yeah, brushed aluminum is perfect. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as politicians are, or corporations are sometimes want to do, of course. Exactly. And so... Um, if you've ever learned anything in history, you know that in North America, especially the march towards equality is always, always met by a white lash. Yeah. Look at Reconstruction. That's yeah. a great example. But people will tell me, oh, don't think about that because that's just America. And I'm like, when has it the 49th parallel been porous? Mm-hmm. There's a reason Indigenous people refer to this as one big landmass. Mm-hmm. They're not wrong because culturally mm-hmm. it is too. So I don't know where this, this Canadian exceptionalism is just something we came up with and it doesn't even, it's not even tied to data. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. where's this evidence? <laughs> well, it and takes so- a certain willful ignorance to, to truly believe it, right? And, and uh, and I think you're right that I mean there obviously is an attempt to silence and to remove people from the from the discourse. And so I mean, what what, what are the implications of that? You know, obviously, you try to keep people out of the public sphere who are pushing back. It means what fewer rights and privileges for for structurally marginalized groups. It means mm-hmm. you know more of the same faces in media and politics. I mean, because there's also a question of who the hell wants to put themselves in these positions. If that's how you're going to be treated for what i mean there's obviously a principled reason to stay but like but it's it's unreasonable to ask people to be martyrs uh you know who who the hell wants to do that work when that's how they're treated exactly and it's not only how they're treated i think if we had a newsroom that supported people then it would be a lot less problematic right right the point is, is that the newsrooms have created a sort of hunger games when it comes to employment and work. And so they're not in, they're not even prepared or in the capacity to do much about this. Like they have to look at their own product and their own environment, their labor environment. Mm-hmm. That is what those, those underpin their response or their non-response. Mm-hmm. So it's more. So there's a market a, issue here too. There's a market issue, yeah. Is, yeah, I mean, it becomes harder to coordinate and direct these things when a lot of journalists are freelancers or they're disconnected from newsroom or they're tenuously employed. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to make trouble. You're thinking about your current job or the next job. I mean, it makes it hard, obviously, to to push back, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Now, I have to say that um, the Hill Times has been quite responsive and they have they have defended me when I didn't even know I needed defending so I cannot mm-hmm. 
but it's also remarkable to me that what we're talking about is a newspaper run by women and owned by women mostly. Mm-hmm. So the structure is, is slightly different from your quote unquote regular newsroom. Like I have a black editor, a yeah. black female editor. You know how rare that is? She might be the only one mm-hmm. in the country on parliament that does, you know, parliamentary stuff. What does that tell you? And it makes a difference, right? Yes. So structurally, I have an advantage in that way. Yeah. Insofar as you're connected to the Hill Times. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Now you know why I stay. Okay, well, well that's, uh, yes, I do. Uh, um, and it's also um, a, a great publication. I mean, I, you know, it's um, for, for those who pay proper attention to it, there's a lot of a lot of great stuff, not the least of which is as uh, your own, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk approaches to dealing with this crisis. Uh, people are paying attention now. The CAJ, the Canadian Association of Journalists, has woken up. They decided to have a look themselves. Uh, they sent a letter to the prime minister. Uh, mm-hmm. making some suggestions. Excuse me. Well, this okay. So, so I okay. So, background then. The prime minister's response was to uh, Brent Jolly of the national president of the CAJ. But you're saying right. this, this was miscommunicated. There were some cross wires here. They, what's going on there? Well, the CAJ didn't write the letter. I see. Okay. So. Did now, they send it? Been, why would they? Yeah, yeah, why did yeah. they get no, the response? No, 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 no. I don't want to diminish their role either. Okay. Because I think they have been instrumental at realizing the goal I set for them in the beginning, which was I want a community response. And so we wrote another letter. Um, and uh, we wrote another letter, and and to this time to the prime minister, and I think. I think it was delivered by CAJ. Okay. Um, and it was translated by CAJ. So yes, they had an important role, right? But they weren't the only ones. This was a collaborated effort. And I want to put that out there. Of course. Because we have this, we have this, it's either a lone wolf who's doing something or it's a lone hero. It's not. It's a community response. Yeah. Because we cannot solve these problems. You cannot solve systemic problems on an individual basis. Yeah. Right. And this problem is becoming systemic if it's not already so. In the letter, the prime minister says, our government strongly condemns these campaigns and the deeply troubling actions of the people behind them. Okay, no kidding. Uh, but it basically ends by saying, okay, we're, we're discussing options through which the federal government can help ensure that the RCMP has the resources they need to tackle cyber and digital crime across the country. So they might get more money to deal with that. Uh, they talk about the digital citizen initiatives that in budget 2022. So they're, they're sort of, they're thinking about it. There's some money there, but then he basically pivots and says, these recommendations fall mostly under Mendocino, uh, Justice Minister David Lametti and uh, Heritage Minister uh, Pablo Rodriguez. So they sort of said, well, we're kind of working on it, but we've got all these folks got to work on it too. So they, they indicate that they're dealing with it but what, what would a proper solution look like? Because you say, well, we're just going to give more money to the police. You've already identified that that could be problematic. Yeah. And that's just not to say if you get threats, 
I get threats. I had to call the police. Uh, that's, that's the first instinct. What else do you do? If you're an individual, like, oh, well, geez, what do you do? You call the police. But that doesn't solve the structural problem. So we've got an immediate problem, immediate solutions, and then a structural problem that needs structural solutions. W what are we to do with all of that? Well, we've paved the road. You want to, if individual, individually, I would say you contact your um you contact your superiors and you tell them, well, this is already been talked about. There's already been a letter where 47 organizations have signed on. And mm -hmm. um, that is the community response. If we don't have a community, it's, that's not the only community response. That's the beginning. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the rest looks like right now because this is new, right? Yeah. And we're all trying to find our way in the dark. I would say for newsrooms, for colleagues, be supportive before you start tone policing. Yes. There's a lot of tone policing that goes on in newsrooms and I find it gross. Yep. And I'll tell you why I find it gross. A, because we're going through it. We see things that other people don't. Number two, it's misogynistic. I should have put that at number one, but mm. it's misogynistic to tone police a woman on her own um, reaction to hate is gross. And mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's patriarchy, mm -hmm. basically. So stop doing that. Um, anger is an appropriate response. Mm -hmm. It really is. I'm angry. I should yeah, be angry. Why am I, why, why shouldn't I be angry? So I'm supposed to stuff down my emotions for other people's comfort? No. Yeah. They tell women and especially black women and racial uh, indigenous women and other racialized women to do that all the time. Yeah. And, and whiteness loves to police your response to their racism. Mm -hmm. It's how they keep us in line. So there's that. Um, Number three, we talked about newsrooms. We talked about their lack of support, et cetera. I would go back to that. Number four, the police. Here's what I think should happen. The police need to coordinate amongst other departments. And that's mm -hmm. what we told them to do. I love that the police called me and they're like, here's what we're going to do. And it's literally everything we put in the letter. So we directed the police on the police response. Which is something. I mean, they, they, they listened. Yeah, because right? they were called out yeah. publicly. This was yeah. only after the letter, the open letter to police chiefs. And they're more interested in, in sanitizing their image than they are in dealing with issues around us. Because not me personally, but sat, uh, a few other people heard from their comms before the people involved taking care of the case. And so they're still under the impression that they can't do anything. So I'm like, I don't understand why we're giving the police more money to do something that they can't do because they have a structural problem. But let me tell you what the structural problem is. You go into your local police precinct, you report. Okay. By the way, I actually called the police from uh, the Hill Times um, office and I said I have a hate crime to report and I, all I got was do it online 
Okay. So I go online. Why is there no option to report online hate online? Hate attacks are only seen as physical instances. They do nothing about them. Nothing. Mm. Okay. So anyway, so what, well, what happens to this data? Where does it go? Oh, well, we're collecting data. So to do what with? Data is nothing if you don't do anything with it. So what the police should have is a coordinated, like specialized unit that maybe in the RCMP, maybe it's a cyber unit that specializes in online hate attacks, but it should be uploaded to a, a set, at least a centralized group who can map out the structure and the systems of these groups. Mm-hmm. This is one of the fundamental problems. And I mean, I remember talking to other people about this is that because of the fact that the internet is the internet, uh, people can do this from wherever. They can use technologies to hide. Yeah. Uh, uh, the police are at a disadvantage in the way we've organized police services in this country. Of course, Why? the counterpoint is we have surveillance concerns on the police side too. Yes. Okay. So why is it that the police can find any indigenous protester they Mm -hmm. want to at a drop of a hat, but they can't find white supremacists? Mm -hmm. That seems to me like a priority issue. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe if the white supremacists were um, protesting uh, a pipeline, they could find yes. them Yes, they would find them right now. Yeah. yeah. If it was an economic development issue, they'd find them real fast. Exactly. But because these people are on the side, of, ostensibly on the side of capitalism, it's fine. They're just a nuisance. And yet, what, what gets me is, and we're into the closing minutes here, so I'm going to wrap up with this. What gets me is that uh, our intelligence services have warned. I mean, the CSIS has warned about this. I, I think the CSE perhaps has warned about it too, the communication security establishment, uh, that these white supremacists, these white right-wing extremists are a very serious problem and a growing problem in this country. So it's not as if the intelligence services in this country aren't aware of the problem. They're very much aware of it. Yeah, you but think. they couch that under xenophobia and not actual like racial attacks. I read that. It's on the, the Canada.ca. The yeah, the CSIS thing. And I find that problematic. Sure. The, the framing and perhaps the lens, but they do get the sense that there is a, a problem. They do. Space, they do. Right? They do. Uh, fair enough. They do. But this zine, this this whole, um, like, uh, talking about it in that frame makes mm-hmm. it sound like this is still a foreigner type problem. Yes, 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 yes. And that racial people are foreigners. Yeah, right. That's the problem. It's inherently white supremacist in that way. Right. That's what I'm saying. So even they have a problem. And the military, I don't know, I don't know why we're not bringing D&D into this because the military has a problem. A lot of these uh, people. Yes, as we've learned, yeah. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> Former listen, listen, listen. Wherever, wherever, um, like sexual violence is, racism is. Yeah, the these things are twin pillars of our 
of white supremacy and patriarchy are, are twin pillars. They move together. Yeah. Well, so uh, it's not a surprise then to learn that we need a, a structural holistic response that in a, in a country sort of notorious for being bad at those responses, especially across federal, provincial, municipal lines. It just seems to be, I mean, the, the convoy was an example of that. Yeah. The, the convoy effectively weaponized uh, the Federation, right, as well. Like, good luck yep. dealing with, you know, you've got the National Capital Commission, the Ottawa police, the Gatineau yep. police, the military yep. police, the federal government, the provincial government, the OPP. Good luck. As if these mm -hmm. people didn't think maybe we should be calling each other from day one, yeah. put everyone in a room, putting together a team, yeah. which didn't seem to happen, right? I mean, and, and so they must know that they can drive a Mack truck, no pun intended, through the whole that the Federation creates by nature of its, its design and operation, right? Which is yeah. and suboptimal. It's, in, it's inertia. Yeah. So yeah, they know that. Um, and, and they've exploited it brilliantly. What yeah. they've done is brilliant. I, I'm, I'm just saying, and, and they've exploited every weakness. Well, maybe not everyone, but they've exploited a lot of weaknesses. So now what we're doing, me, Saba, and Rachel, is essentially working to create um, uh, something that is, is established mm -hmm. so that other people can follow. And that's why I, write, I wrote about the process Yes, in my Hill Times column. It's because I want people to know that, yes, ordinary people can do this, but you can't do it alone. That is the number one thing. You cannot do it alone. The problem is journalists don't really talk about this and that's a problem. So that's mm -hmm. why, that's why we on the bad and bitchy podcast, I'm amazed that I haven't said the podcast yet. Aaron's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> it's in the intro. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, that's why we, we set up a Twitter space for people to, for journalists to actually talk about this. Yeah. We are so individualized. This is such an individualistic society that we don't even know how to bring people together to talk about things mm -hmm. wow wow mm -hmm. wow neoliberalism really wrecked community which means we can't respond to systemic issues mm -hmm. you cannot respond to systemic issues as, as an individual period i was hoping to end on the uplifting note but then you've taken us down this road i don't know. well i don't well, know why you know better than that i know well, that brings us to time. <laughs> oh, David, it's been a pleasure. As it usual. has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us to, to outline the problem and to discuss some of the solutions. I very, very much appreciate it. As always, I want to offer some thanks. My thanks to Carolyn Smith, Ross Clark, and Aisha Jera, who make the show not just possible, but better than it would be without them. And as always, to Erica, uh, I felt the three-peat guest. Yay, three-peat! the second uh, most appearances in the history of this podcast. Yes. Someday we'll get you to first. I'm, and I'm on a Jordan run, baby. Jordan you, run. You, what was it, Jordan? Six? Six, I think it was. Was it six? six oh, geez. Five or six. I've, I, have to, I have to watch that Netflix story. We'll, we'll, we'll cue it up. Until then, we're, we'll, get you to, we'll get you to Jordan numbers. Yes. In the meantime... In the meantime, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Support journalism, support journalists, push back against the structures that are marginalizing and alienating support, people. Also support Bad and Bitchy Podcast. <laughs>
support the bad and bitchy podcast because we unpack a lot of this stuff there yes and not in my color and not in my color where i do a lot of my advisory advocacy uh training work there it is people looking for that work look to erica and folks we will see you back here in two weeks